The information contained on this platform represents the opinion of the host and shall not be understood, construed as or a substitute for medical or health advice. Please see a health professional who is aware of the facts and circumstances of your individual situation. It's the Black Health 365 podcast, and we are here to make sure you look good on the outside and even better on the inside. After all, looking good, feeling good, and living a healthy lifestyle 365 days of the year should be a daily choice. Here at the Black Health 365 podcast, we will address the healthcare disparities within the Black community with trusted voices and information to empower a healthy lifestyle. Ain't that right, Britt? I'm talking about mind, body, and soul. What's good, 365ers? My name is Britt Daniels, your fit life coach, yogi, entrepreneur, your co-host of Black Health 365. And it's our mission to be champions of truth and change by providing y'all with personalized healthcare information and resources from trusted professionals. We are here to empower the Black community to make healthier choices all year long. And I'm here to be joined by my beautiful co-host, Yes, Jackie Page, personal trainer, radio personality, nutrition coach, uh, phenomenal black woman, woman, I always mix that up, phenomenal black woman. Um, Let's see what else I do. I cook a little bit. I clean a little bit. Yeah. Um, How you doing, Brent? You been gone for you? You been gone for a minute. Now you back again. Man, I had the most beautiful experience. I got to go back to my spiritual home, Japan. Um, 365ers, as y'all know, um, Japan is really where I transformed as a man. Um, and so I had to experience to go back there for two weeks to just just take it all in. We hit like 12 different cities. Um, I went through every single emotion while I was there. It was beautiful. I meditated in the mountains with monks. Uh, we turned up in Osaka. We, you know, it was, <laughs> it was it was everything. The food was good. I uh, got to meet some very interesting people. You know, Jackie, you know, I, I run three different businesses as we talk about, and I, I, I'm always on the go. And so it was just such an experience to just be still and just do what I want, you know, just shut off the phone and just just stay in the zone. Um, and I feel like more of myself right now. You may even hear it in my voice. I feel more country. <laughs> like, I feel like, honestly, back I, to my I roots. <laughs> <laughs> I do hear a little more twang. Follow my southern people, you know what I mean. Um, but I also hear a more relaxed Brit, like a, a a less, and not to ever say like you're like uptight, but you know, um, when we get in those moments of just like pushing, 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 and hustling and hustling and hustling, like we we get a little uptight, and that can come through and like you know what we do and what we say and how we move. So I, I can actually hear like a less uptight Brit, like you you sound relaxed and. I'm here for it all. Yeah, I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. And in some ways, I'm feeling great. Other ways, you know, when you get back from vacation, you got to get the wheels on going again. So we got to create momentum. And so that's where I'm at right now. You know what I'm saying? I love these check-ins. Jackie, how you feeling? I'm good. Um, let's see here. What is going on with me? Not a whole bunch of anything. I actually took some time to go. Uh, speaking of like traveling, I didn't do anything as fancy as Japan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I did go home and I spent some time with family. I did not work out. Wow. And, and and when I went home, it literally was just for a few days. I think maybe like three or four days. But it was great to just, you know, spend time with family, eat whatever I wanted to eat, not have to worry about like, oh, well, you know, make, let me make sure I'm eating five ounces of salmon. Like it was just great just to be at home and, and breathe, stretch and shake. So um, and not as relaxed as you, 
<laughs> not as you know as chill as you but i'm feeling good spending time with family um and not having to worry about like my quote-unquote plan um yeah. 365ers I, I think we've talked about this before i'm trying to gain whew, somewhere between like three and five pounds of muscle weight and it has been a struggle in two halves for a number of different reasons Britt, you uh we actually talked about it um i talked about like some of the struggles that i've been having mm-hmm. gaining this weight um one being eating two being like actually looking in the mirror and saying girl you're getting a little fluffy um but not really like not having to worry about all of that was like really really good so i'm in a good place i'm really happy to hear i'm glad you gave yourself i think the word is permission to feel that um and likewise when i was on my my spiritual sabbatical i i allowed myself to just do what i want Uh, i haven't worked out in seven days and that is yeah what I'm feeling like who are you? I don't even know. <laughs> and the thing is, I we're gonna talk about this on this today's podcast, body image, body dysmorphia. I have struggled with a lot of those things, and this is the first time in my healing um that I'm okay with how I look right now. I feel like early 2000 young Jeezy, like I'm fluffy. <laughs> like I don't even care. <laughs> and it's funny. Like, you say like you're comfortable with the way you look, and I am actually in a point of like. I'm struggling with the way that I look and it's Mm -hmm. because of putting this or trying to put this weight on Mm -hmm. Um, along with putting weight on muscle weight. um, There's going to be some fat that comes along with that. Um, And having to see, you know, some of that fat come on has been a struggle having to, for lack of better words, force myself to eat most days, which I know sounds crazy, but um I'm forcing myself to eat more. Like it has been a challenge. Yeah. And I am I am struggling with body image because there's some days where I'm just like, oh, okay, girl. Like I went when I went home, my mom was like, Oh, you getting hippie? I was like, <laughs> But then when I looked in the mirror, I was just like, Oh, girl, I don't know if I like the hippiness. So I'm I'm struggling um in this moment um with how I look. And I never thought that I would be here again, but here I am again. It seems like you're stepping into a new space, Jackie, and that actually leads us to our Dharma talk. So um, 365ers, as you know, we like to start off these conversations with a little mini sermon. These called Dharma talks come from an Eastern tradition. And today's Dharma talk is about the value of patience. Right. You know, when when you mop the floor, it's it's important to sit still for a little bit before you start back stepping. And you're going to mess up all that alignment that you've been working on. And as you're moving into a new space in your life, new emotions, new feelings, new circumstances, it's good that you step back and see the bigger picture. I've said this on a multiple different um, occasions, but if you get too consumed looking at a leaf, you won't see the tree. You look at the tree too long, you won't see the forest. So as you keep moving and you grow, learn to sit still for a little bit and assess, hey, this is the strategy. This is how we're going to move forward. And it's okay and give yourself grace in that process. So, Jackie, I, I commend you on all that self-awareness, but just step back and see the bigger picture. It's hard. I ain't even yeah. going to hold you. It is hard. I didn't think it was going to be this difficult in my brain. I was just like, oh, I'm going to put on this little weight and I'm going to be snatched. It's been hard. <laughs> Baby, it's been it's been hard. Every yeah. week is a challenge. I was telling um, and uh, you referred me to the trainer, but I was telling him I was just like, I don't I don't know. I'm like, I'm going to need a few weeks to kind of figure out like where I want to pivot. If I want to continue to do this, if I want to like pull back and go to what I'm used to, it's been hard. So I have been trying to give myself some grace. Um, but the key word in that is trying, because, again, it is hard. It really is. I commend you on it. And yeah, it's, I have dabbled in bodybuilding and um, 
I understand, you know, in the bodybuilding world, body dysmorphia, body image is a huge thing um, when you're trying to put on weight, when you're trying to lose weight. And um, it's, it's a lot that goes into it. And then you start to spin the wheels because you're like, OK, I put on too much weight. And then now I want to get better. It's like you go back and forth. So stick to the script. If you had a vision, stick to that script. That's 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 my advice. But um, this, you know, both of us are trainers and we've worked in the health world. So I'm really excited for this conversation because today we're going to talk about historical access to food in the black community. Um, and, and this is a really very interesting conversation, almost triggering, too, um, because we live in D.C. And as, as we both know, I, I live in D.C., you should live in D.C., but uh, food deserts have been a huge reality here and, and, and probably down south in Atlanta as well. Um, and so. Getting to this topic is, is, is really interesting. You know, across the country, black communities, black communities have disproportionately uh, been underfunded, resulting in a significant gap. And obviously racism affects uh, nutrition as a, a social detriment to health. It has a major influences on people's access to healthy food. And there are structural and systematic inequalities that are tied up in all that. It's devastating. Very um, much so. It affects our community in a number of different ways. Um, and it kind of ties back into what we were just talking about body image um it's something that a lot of our a lot of the black community deals with a lot of us in the black community deal with uh, body image for sure and i'm very interested to speak with our guests about a lot of these things talking about the concepts of what is food insecurity talking about the concepts what are food deserts um discussing these historical reasons why things are like this like redlining and all of that um, and ways that we can adopt healthy, healthy self body image and healthy relationships with food. So, yeah, let's get in it. Yeah. Um, Jessica Wilson is joining today. Jessica is a co-creator of the Amplified Melanated Voices Challenge that went viral in 2020. Um, she is a clinical dietitian, consultant and author. Jessica, how are you doing today? I am hanging in there. I'm getting towards the end of book tour, and this is like a really great way to kind of wrap it up. We love a good book tour, so yeah. congratulations with that. Um, but I, me personally, excited to talk to you. Um, I'm a nutrition coach, and um, there's a lot that can be learned and that can be taken away from a dietitian. So I know Britt has his things that he's really excited about, but um, as a nutrition coach and as somebody who was going through um, my own kind of, I don't want to say body image situation, but I low key am going through a body image situation. Um, you know, just really want to pick your brain and talk to you about some of the things. So I guess the first question for the 365ers, and this is a very elementary question, is what exactly is a dietitian? Um, I always like use the distinction. So there are many folks in the field of nutrition, but a dietitian will be the only one like hired by medical practices. So hospitals, outpatients, et cetera, to do really that medical nutrition therapy, which is the fancy word, basically that we're, you know, talking to patients in a healthcare setting. Um, so that's more of the distinction we have undergrad and then internship and oftentimes grad school that goes into our nutrition education. What got you into or what led you down the path of wanting to become a dietitian? I have always like chalk it up 
chalked it up to just wanting to talk about food, but through like writing the book and being asked that question. Um, and then also with recently some American Academy of Pediatric guidelines that are talking about how to put children as young as two on diets. I remembered that I saw a dietitian when I was six um, and then went back and found those notes. And at six, I was just trending at the top of my growth curve because I was a bigger kid and that's the end of the story. Uh, but it was a problem for my doctor, for my mom, because, you know, parents want to have smaller kids and like the right kids. Um, so it was like the beginning of like me having to see endocrinologists and all this stuff to like find the reason for the problem with my body. And that just got me more preoccupied and like, it was weird to have so many people like picking and prodding at a body just to figure out why it's trending at the top of a growth curve. I and imagine. so I think, yeah, that's probably, well, not probably, that's definitely when I started, you know, thinking about this stuff more and leading into, you know, poor body image. Another elementary question is how would you define diet? Because some people may define it differently. Like the, mm -hmm. generally, like if somebody were to say, give me your diet recall. So, you know, that's often how as clinicians, we'll just talk about diet. So like, what have you been eating? What are you eating? What do you typically eat? Um, but I find that a lot of people like to put a lot of identification into their diet, um, be it clean eating or, you know, their detoxes or whatever it is. Somehow people take it on as like part of who they are. Oh, veganism is an easy one too. And just having that be like a big identifier and community builder for people. And so for some people, it's just, you know, what they're eating and what they're enjoying and their identities come through other parts of them. Um, but yeah, I like to just look at diet as, you know, what do you typically eat in a day? Yeah. And I think a lot of people in the, in the, the wellness world or just in, in the world and generally we like to socialize the concept of diet this is something that's a temporary thing or i'm on a diet right now um so that i can see these certain results and that can sometimes be uh, uh a shoot in the foot because people do certain things that are temporary and then it, it leaves them sometimes worse off than where they were in the first place so i assume as a dietitian you kind of coach people into healthier relationships with food that are more sustainable yeah. Uh, so as you already mentioned, you know, being on diets and, you know, dieting um, are temporary. Uh, that's a great way. They are impermanent <laughs> because, you know, if people are losing weight for, you know, weight loss reasons, there would be no diet. Like Weight Watchers would not exist. <laughs> like this is if true. calories in equals calories out like that, you know, would people would ever, you know, always be thin, but that's not the case. And that's not how bodies work because they're not math equations. Um, so in that context, but also in the context of white supremacy of, you know, race, class, gender, gender identity, um, what does it mean to have bodies that are, you know, different from one another when the ideal has so often been written by white supremacy and, really, you know, puritanical religions where smaller equals, you know, more frail in need of protection, more valuable, um, and anybody larger is inherently associated with like gluttony and all of these things that we should not be. 
how can we because I feel like when you hear the word diet, um, it usually has a negative uh, connotation. How can we because, again, it's one of those things where a lot of people are like, oh, when I diet, like I have to restrict what yeah. I eat. And I can't do this and I can't do that. Yeah. Um, whereas where you just said it is, you know, what you're consuming. How can we, I guess, shift the narrative of the term diet so that it's not looked at as such a negative thing? I think it, we do it easily when we talk about like the foods that other uh, countries are typical in other countries, right? You know, we can talk about you were just in Japan, <laughs> like, you know, a Japanese diet is, you know, high in, you know, these things and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so I always wonder when it comes to us, like how often things are different. Speaking of Japan again, like uh, it's so easy to say that other countries, you know, eat white rice and it's fine but you know in america where i'm supposed to be eating quinoa and kale like you know so it's just as like individualism when it comes to diet and dieting and how we're always looking internally and it's never like part of community and it's never you know just an external it's just this always me and individual part mcdonald's is not new to chicken so maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, expanding it to the the larger scale uh, structural things. I'm, I'm interested, uh, how do historical conditions in the black community affect health conditions now? Super broad, yeah. And you already, I think, alluded to some of it in the intro. So let's go back 400 years um, into, you know, transatlantic slavery and just the positioning and juxtapositioning of what, you know, whiteness and blackness was forever ago. Um, so in the 1700s and the 1800s, when we're looking and talking about eugenics, um, this is going to be very brief, but <laughs> if you want to read Fearing the Black Body, highly recommend. Um, whiteness was, you know, crafted to be, again, thin, and blackness was inherently thought to be, um, you know, fat and gluttonous. So um, with all of the structural racism that comes we, you know, have redlining, we have just not even communities that are under-resourced, they're intentionally, you know, left out of, you know, city budgets. And because of all these things we have, as, you know, you primarily discuss, we like to think of them as, quote, food deserts. Um, but, you know, a lot of us will say it's food apartheid. Uh, food desert implies they're just like a lack or like it's naturally occurring, but it's super intentional. So we have uh, legacy, you know, post-traumatic stress. Uh, we have intergenerational stress. We have intergenerational trauma. Um, we have so many things that are impacting, you know, our health today that have nothing to do with like our circumstances today. And then in a lot of black communities, you know, who are experiencing food apartheid, a lot of um, environmental toxins, lacking access to safe places to play, you know, all of like the daily, the now and the 400 years of trauma um, really impacts, you know, who we are in our health. Yeah, that's real. Um, 400 years of trauma. It was this book I read a while ago. I think it's called Post 
traumatic uh, trauma syndrome or something like slave that. Just, so, slave disorder. Yeah. So, yeah. How the trauma is just transferred through our genes um, and can be manifested. Um, and so we got to really through uh, self-awareness and through education, like start to break some of these chains um, and, and move forward. But it's hard, you know, when we talk about the black community to really and, and we talk about, you know, eating healthy and, you know, having a healthy diet. It's hard to do that, though. Um, it, it just feels like it's so difficult. Let's see. So this one is really broad and it gets kind of tricky. So in, I will say in school, like we learned about what black people ate. And mind you, I am a black person in this, you know, program and what black people ate, you know, there and in media is just inherently pathologized uh, for whatever, you know, Southern I'm putting in that quotation is yes, <laughs> we know what that is. Uh, right. But how it's discussed is inherently negative. But, you know, I, you know, lived in Oakland and we were talking about other areas that are gentrifying and like Southern food is like super popular. So when thin rich white people eating the same foods, it's looked at as like a gastronomical paradise, but like inherently associating it with black people, you know, just inherently makes it unhealthy. So like teasing apart, you know, what is and what isn't and what's the social construction can be helpful. And yes, it can be very hard to eat fruits and vegetables. Um, it can be very hard to, you know, just have time to cook. Um, for people who are working three jobs, I think of folks all the time, uh, people who don't have money for food are going to get the cheapest food and the stuff that's going to last the longest if you can't get to the grocery store very often. So in the it's hard to eat healthy, I like to make it less about personal choice, but also circumstance, because oftentimes we get told, like, you just need to eat better without examining all the reasons, like, that life is making that hard. Random question, and I don't know if, you know, you can put an answer to this, but do you think, because, you know, you, you just mentioned that um, eating fruits and vegetables can be a little more expensive, which I would agree. Um, do you think that is a systematic way to keep... Um, Oh, yeah. Let's be real. Let's to, to yeah. keep, you know, us down. Yes. One thousand percent. Black and brown folks, especially from uh, poor neighborhoods. Like, why is so expensive? <laughs> because it can be. I get the same products. I live in a poor area of Sacramento. I get the same products at, you know, the like super cheap grocery store that does has zero upkeep and terrible lighting, right? But it's half the price of, you know, these other places. And so, yes, and we elevate the prices of food and we don't, and we don't subsidize fruits and vegetables. Why? You know, because they are the healthier uh, option when it comes to choosing foods. So yes, I 100% think it is intentional. I think that fruits and vegetables are expensive and accessible to those who have money and just inherently not affordable for folks who don't. I wanted to know why some people who get COVID-19 get it so bad. I found out it may be because they have a high risk factor, such as heart disease, diabetes, being overweight, smoking, and asthma. Even if symptoms feel mild, these factors can increase your risk of COVID-19 turning severe. So if you're at high risk and test positive, there are things you can do, like asking your healthcare provider if an authorized oral treatment is right for you. Learn about an option at treatcovid19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. As, as a dietitian, how would you define um, healthy eating? I don't, right? Oh. And that's really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that 
is a trap. It creates like a healthy way and an unhealthy way. And, you know, working a lot of my career has been working with super smart college students who are just really looking for the way um, to eat food. But I've also come to school um, with having their cultural foods pathologized. I heard somebody tell me like, you know, I don't eat dinner because I'm supposed to eat quinoa. I only like Persian rice and that's the only thing I know how to cook. So I just don't eat it. And they didn't have an eating disorder. It was just like too overwhelming because this was the right way. You know, their cultural foods were the wrong way. And so, you know, I will talk to people about what, you know, both feels right for their body, but like historically, what are they getting away from by trying to be on whatever diet? Um, so yeah, let's just talk about you. And like, there is no way to be eating. Do you put a definition around like... As a trainer, yes. and I'm really happy we're having this conversation. I feel like we're so ingrained to say like, oh, a healthy diet or healthy eating yeah. um, or like, you know, this isn't the best diet or you're you're not eating healthy. Mm -hmm. um, so what? And even as a nutrition coach, to be completely honest, that's what we're that's the information that we're taught. It's mm -hmm. healthy eating versus non-healthy eating yeah. or you're not eating good as a dietitian. If you're not saying, you know, healthy, a healthy diet or healthy eating. Um, you know, what are some other terms um, that both me and Britt can use and 365ers listening could use? So we're being more inclusive. Right. And I think it's hard. So I, a lot of my work is with folks with eating disorders and a friend in recovery who's just a friend and not a client was saying, you know, who was looking for the way she was, she told me like, Jessica, your message is like, eat food and feel how, feel how it feels. And that's terrifying. And I'm like, yeah, like, let's, do that. My guess is if I ate, you know, cinnamon toast crunch, three meals a day and snacks, like I wouldn't feel that great, especially as you're getting over older fiber becomes unfortunately more important. But you know, what does that mean to you is what I work with people just like you were saying, I don't label because inherently that, you know, pathologizes and problematizes some foods. And that's always going to be cultural foods always, always. Uh, it's going to be brown rice. It's going to be eating two carbs. It's going to be eating tortillas, you know, and beans from, you know, other cultures or non and, you know, lentils, which are two carbs. And so like, we're just, you know, I try to let food be food. And then also like, doesn't create guilt for people who have, you know, like jobs that don't have lunch breaks because they're not eating X, Y, or Z thing. I know it's hard for people <laughs> to like understand that I just am talking to an individual and not providing them the answers. It's hard for them too to then go through and see what that means for them. Yeah, I mean, and I can completely understand why, again, you know, kind of going back to the whole, like, we're so, we, it's been ingrained in our heads to say either healthy or unhealthy. Um, and that's kind of how we've labeled everything that we either buy or consume. So, I mean, I, even me listening to you say that, I'm like, uh, Okay, but I mean, I completely, I completely understand, you know, where um, and why you're saying that. So it yeah. makes, it makes sense. It's just that, you know, having to pull my mind away from what has been ingrained in it for the last 852 million years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Jessica, what I love what you said, it was just how circumstances can shape our relationships with food and bringing self-awareness around as a coach self-awareness around how your circumstances affect what you're eating and how you're eating mm -hmm. is important so that you can help people maybe develop better relationships. Um, I think that's a really important point because um, it's like, yeah, how do you coach someone who's having 
to work multiple jobs, facing all these type of barriers? Like, how do you help them develop um, uh, ways of eating that supports their their body mm-hmm. in a sustainable way? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's going to be individual, so many different levels, right? And yeah, so I think that that overarching concept of looking at your circumstances to improve healthy eating is is, is really important versus just hey, I'm gonna give you a grocery list. Yeah, right. Things. A meal plan. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I'm going to give you a meal plan. And I'm like, you can go online for that. You don't, have to, you don't have to talk to me. I had a client yesterday do the same thing. She was like, hey, can you just give me a meal plan? I'm like, no, you can go on chat GPT right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. So like, but we need to talk about what's going on psychologically. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and I like that you and uh, Britt, I really like what you just said, um, you know, eating to what fits your body. I think we get away from that so much is we want to eat for what fits everybody else's body and not what works best for us. And I think that is how you have a healthy relationship um, with food. And body so, image. Yeah, completely. Which, yeah. Love that you said that. Um, Jessica, how early in your experience or do people just start to develop this concept of what body image is? Can we just speak to this concept of body image? In, in your profession and how you experienced it with your uh, with your clients and in the black community, like, you know, our perception of black uh, body image. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That is so broad, and I'm going to forget many bits, so just bring me back to your original question as we go. <laughs> okay, what is body image? I have been working to redefine that, um, especially like body image interventions, because we so often think that body image is this like internalized how I feel about my body in this very individualistic situation. And, you know, say if I have a lot of body privilege, like it can be, you know, okay or easy for me to feel fine about my body, but I still have to go outside. Like, you know, it's like this internal, like how I feel about my body, but like society is also telling me something about my body, right? And how does that impact black folks? How does that impact, you know, queer and trans folks? Like I can only feel so good about my body and my body image. And then I have to leave, right? My house, I have to go outside. I have to talk to people. Um, So there is like the internal, like how I view my own body, but I don't think we can separate that, especially as black folks from how, you know, we're taught, you know, that our bodies should be or conform to what like whiteness demands of us. So like I love that answer. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> that was a great very Socratic response. Yeah, it was very philosophical, but <laughs> and then I have as young as you know, we're both listening to parents, listening to doctors, um, and then you know, getting messages on television, you know, how we're, our families are talking about, you know, slimmer folks, larger folks, when we're just like is old enough to, you know, absorb that information. Children, you know, start wanting to go on diets younger and younger is, you know, we're talking about, you know, fat phobia more and more. Random, do you see, especially with the whole like BBL wave, yeah. um, 
do you see people really wanting to diet as much or have a better relationship with what they're consuming as much? Um, Because I feel like we're in a era where people are trying to put on more weight in certain areas so they look a certain way according to society. Right. Um, Those folks I find, at least in my practice, have not been the ones to come in and like to work with a dietitian for that. You're totally right. Where I have seen and my clients have seen, uh, colleagues have seen, is folks with eating disorders um, really wanting to change their body, um, especially say if they're too slim, but still wanting, you know, like hips and butt. And so like going through surgeries in those ways, but like not people wanting to work on their relationship with food, but oftentimes coming from a disordered place, which makes sense in a society that, you know, doesn't view black women's bodies as like valuable, respected, you know? Yeah. What is uh, body privilege? Is that a thing? Right. Great question. I said, you know, folks with body privilege um, and I think it's great to think about, you know, privilege in a societal context. So white bodies inherently, cis bodies, um, straight folks, thin folks mostly. Um, when it, you know, when it looks like the flashcard. So when we walk outside, you know, what's inherently people are seeing and looking. Um, Isabel Wilkerson calls it a flashcard for what people are seeing when they look at us. So, you know, are we you know, looking quote fit, if that's where we're supposed to be in the like the thin fit um, spectrum, disabled, et cetera. Um, So yeah, that's what I talk about when I mean more body privilege. Okay. Interesting question here. Um, We're talking about body image, we're talking about relationships with food, talking about cultural things, right? Do you consider eating disorders to be a taboo in the Black community? I have found it to be not even taboo, but like impossible is uh, in a lot of contexts. Um, I have a couple examples. I'll use Lexi, a gymnast that I go through the book and talk about how, you know, from age three, she was in gymnastics, but as a black girl in gymnastics, always thought to be more powerful, strong, uh, more muscular. And so not to excel at the more quote, elegant events like balance beam and bars. And so her like path towards, you know, diet pills and purging and, you know, cleanses and tonics and only salads forever, you know, she never thought of that as an eating disorder. Like that was just her path to winning. Um, it wasn't until she met me like decade or more later that I was like, I'm really concerned. She was like, oh no, you know, black girls don't get eating disorders. So this can't be, you know, that thing. Um, a similar, you know, clients all the time will just talk about their wellness journey. And especially when they work in like all white contexts or have, you know, predominantly white institutions, how, you know, we're already hyper visible yet invisible. And so conforming to like what, society expects of women and our bodies can just be a survival strategy. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like we get it. And, you know, under white supremacy and capitalism. So I do think that there is a white girls get that, you know, white girls have eating disorders. We don't, but I think it's from a place of, you know, just not recognizing that the pressures are different for us. We may not want to be like the thin ideal or like the beauty ideal, we may just want to be safer in society and shrinking ourselves can be one way to do that. I'm not going to hold you. 
when it comes to black girls and eating disorders, I'm gonna be real. I, I'm like, is that really a thing? Because it's yeah. something you never ever hear about. Mm-hmm. It's like we we don't have issues with food. Like it's it's interesting to hear you kind of break that down like that. Because again, as a black woman, you don't hear about eating disorders in the black community. Like that's one thing we just don't talk about. Yeah, at all. No. It's 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 crazy. Um, if a three sixty five is listening right now and they're like, you know, you know, I hear what she's saying, but <laughs> I ain't about to change up how I about to eat. Or you know, what? It, what would you say to the to the person listening who is just like, you know, I'm not making a change to what I eat. Like what I eat is fine. I ain't got no issues. But who actually may have some issues deep down inside? Do you mean uh, along the eating disorder like spectrum? Those folks. Um. I always tell people I get it. Um, And like in context, their body is not the problem and say, you know, I totally understand, you know, that you may be coming in to see me because your hair is falling out. And what you're hearing me say is eat more food and that, you know, I've looked at your lab results. You know, I see what your heart rate is. It's low, you know, eating your body needs more food. And I understand what you're hearing me say is that I'm asking you to give up the privilege that you you know, have achieved by losing weight and, you know, shrinking yourself, making yourself smaller. So like with that information that, you know, I put it in context, I understand. And I also see, you know, the impact that it's having on you, you know, isolating yourself or really being hyper-focused on food. So, you know, is there a happy medium? Um, Or I understand if that's just not a path that you're able to go down and, you know, I'm here, here's my number is what I'll tell people, you know, people can reach out, but just, you know, in context, I, there's far less blame, I think. And we just understand what's going on. So, you know, I just tell people their body's not a problem and, you know, we're here if we need, if you need us. Random, uh, you just said, and and I'm just curious if Mm -hmm. this is a thing that you've actually seen. Um, Have you seen it where, you know, somebody may be under eating or, you know, they may have an eating disorder and their hair is coming out? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, And if you ask, you know, there's a couple like uh, hair, gosh, they're hair trained. I'm sorry, I'm going to mess it up. They're, um, people who are um, have a special training in hair and are dietitians. Like the one of the major causes for hair loss is just a lack of calories, protein, and energy. Um, because you know, to have hair, um, we need the nutrients similar to nails and things like that. But yeah, hair loss is something that we'll see. Of course, energy levels, cognitive functioning, stress, anxiety, and stuff. Yeah. Is there anything else um, like the stress, the anxiety? Those are all things that I'm very familiar with. But are there mm-hmm. any other things kind of like hair loss that's kind of off the beating path that um, comes about with uh, a lack of eating or uh, 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 eating disorder? Yeah. Like so other things that people might see or. Yeah, other- that we typically don't think of, because like you said, the stress, uh, the lack of sleeping, like those are all things like. Yeah. Okay, you know, I'm very used to hearing, but when you said hair loss, I'm just like, mm-hmm. hmm, are there Maybe any like, other things? Like lack of sexual performance. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I would say also like more anxious brain. So like the hyper focus on anything, uh, drier skin, nails that are, you know, breaking off more easily per se um, than they were beforehand. Um, and then, you know, like losing luster in your in your skin that used to be there more drier you know face skin and other folks yes will just 
tell me, you know, have less capacity for family and friends is something that you'll notice in people. And when, you know, they start to eat more and have more cognitive ability, because restriction actually, you know, shrinks the both the white matter and dark matter, gray matter of our brains, um, which can rebound and then people have more cognitive awareness. So, you know, that stress, anxiety and isolation versus, you know, being well nourished and having that back. Hmm. That's very interesting. I will say in my um, journey, um, one of the things that I did learn about myself is that I was under eating. Um, and l literally, I was either at maintenance or for the most part under eating. Um, but I will say the level, my level of stress has gone down a lot. Um, anxiety has gone down a lot. Um, and I do feel um, the, the focus is there. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. And this is coming from somebody um, who's a trainer, it's interesting to see like, you know, or, or to know both ends of the spectrum mm. um, and where I was when I was like, oh, well, we're trying to keep this certain look or this certain fit yeah. um, to be skinny and have the the abs where I am versus where I am now, where it's like, okay, we're trying to gain weight. And it's just like, hmm, things feel a little different. Yeah. I do look a little fluffier, but I will say there are some things that um, do feel a lot better. So it's interesting to hear you say that and, and kind of give me some confirmation that, girl, you may have been under eating a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, as trainers, okay, we are learning each and every day, okay? Mm -hmm. This whole thing, 365ers, um, we're learning every day. Um, and, and that's the thing, um, you know, a lot of this is, you got to figure out what works best for you and your body. And that is, um, you know, the process and the journey that I'm on right now. Um, question, what are some of the treatment solutions for somebody um, who may be seeing a dietitian? I wish there were treatment solutions, right? <laughs> I would love if there was just an easy, you know, handout. And a lot of dietitians, uh, for those of y'all who have been to see them, will just give you a handout on eat less of this and more of that. Um, but when we're looking at Black health, particularly, um, we're able to say that there's so many factors. There's genetics and all the other things we've mentioned, but you know, and how the solution quote is supposed to be like lifestyle changes, and we can't undo, you know, these centuries worth of stress, trauma, That's adverse real. childhood events. Um, and so, you know, I definitely talk about, um, you know, fruits, vegetables, and you know, changes that people can make eating more often. You'd be surprised how many people are not eating breakfast. People talk about quote intermittent fasting. I'm like, that's 50% of people because they're just not eating breakfast. Oh, I hear that a lot. Right. <laughs> people just aren't eating breakfast, they're already fasting. Um, and poor people who don't have enough money for food. So, like intermittent fasting is not, you know, the healthiest. But um, <laughs> Some treatment solutions include both stress, sleep, and then looking at fruits and vegetables and other things in your diet. Okay. Um, I like how you say intermittent fasting isn't the best thing in the world because that's one of the things that I try to get across to my clients, but don't all of them want to listen to me and hear me no. out. I'm like, baby, you need that energy. You yes. need that fuel. Literally that. So get it together. Now, thank you for saying that. Again, sure. another piece of confirmation, <laughs> a little yeah. something for the 365ers. Um, yeah, just it's very interesting to see um, and having this conversation, uh, people's relationship with food um, and how it is different no matter where you go. Yeah. My last question before we get to our what's your 365, Jessica, is for a 365er listening to this, 
who may have a family member or a friend or a loved one that may they perceive to have some type of eating disorder that they're not acknowledging. How do you create conversation where that person can feel heard and understood? What are some I don't know if you've experienced this in your work where maybe a husband or a wife has approached you. If someone came to you as a dietitian, how do I talk to my husband? Mm -hmm. People I have found success just uh, being more curious uh, rather than, you know, it's quick to express like concern and, you know, which we might be, but being curious about what folks are doing and what they're really going through can be helpful and wanting to know more about like, oh, why have things changed? Or I'm noticing that you're bringing your own uh, meal prep containers to Sunday dinner. Um, you know, tell me, you know, more about why that's important and just looking at values. And, you know, if people are really, if you're hearing some things that are red flags, um, then I can always recommend, you know, referring them to dietitians and the compassion piece is also often what's missing when we're expressing like urgency because we are worried, you know, so recovery from an eating disorder is like years, months. So, you know, taking our time and like building a relationship of care can be super helpful. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay, I know Britt said he had one last question, but I have one last question. Um, do you know if any other cultures struggle with um, food the way that we do here in America? I can't compare it directly because I have not worked other places. But yes, there are eating disorders in other places. It is particularly tied to white supremacy here. Um for a lot of folks, both just wanting to achieve more, you know, social capital. Um, and that's oftentimes how it presents in other, um, like white European countries, but the eating disorders that are in other cultures, um, have different, you know, presentations and reasons. But it's, it's good to know. I mean, not good to know, but it is, uh, interesting to hear you say that it's not just, no. um, it's not just us. Cause a lot of times I think we, with the processed um, foods, Oh, um, I think sometimes right. we uh, get into the yeah. mindset of it's just America yeah. and it's not just America. There are other countries that deal yeah. with it, but how it looks um, yeah. and how it how it came about is a little different. So yeah. um, very interested, uh, very interesting that you pointed that out. Um, Jessica, a lot of information given um, today. Thank you so very much for coming in and, and dropping all these gems. Um, if people want to reach out to you on social media, um, where can they do that at? And then also, uh, you mentioned a book. We need details on the book as well. <laughs> um, I'm on Instagram at jessicawilson.msrd. Trying out the TikToks at uh, <laughs> at by Jessica Wilson, um, and that is in reference to being an author of "It's Always Been Ours," which is available on 
um, Audible and ebook and wherever books are sold. I talk about uh, both Lexi and the other client that I mentioned at a predominantly white institution. Those two run throughout the book. So if you're interested in hearing more or seeing more what it's like for Black women and eating disorders, you know, that's a great one. And then for other resources for folks, Whitney Trotter um, is on Instagram at Whitney Trotter and has a whole list of uh, dietitians of color who work particularly with folks ex- wanting to look uh, more at their relationship with food. So those are ones that I recommend individuals rather than organizations because you know where the trust is in that. And we love it. Okay. We love, we love uh, a direct connect to somebody. Mm -hmm. So Jessica, thank you so much for that. Uh, 365ers. um, Wow. What a powerful podcast. What a powerful episode. Um, Because food is something that we all kind of, we did, we, we have to have it. Um, And it's something that believe it or not, I feel like a lot of people, including myself, um, we, we, we struggle with um, depending on where we are um, in our journey and where we are with our goals. So um, I I guess that's kind of where I want to leave you with the what's your 365 is um, this is probably a good time for you to start evaluating what your relationship with food is. Um, you know, is it a, a good relationship? Is it a bad relationship? How can you make it a better relationship? Um, because food is essential. Um, you have to have it. Um, you can't go without it. So uh, it's imperative that you have a, a better relationship with it. So, you know, just take the next few days, the next few weeks to kind of evaluate your relationship with um, your diet and your nutrition. Um, and as Britt said earlier, um, you know, do it so that you're doing what's best for you and your body, not what's best for my body, not what's best for Jessica's body, not what's best for Britt's body, what's best for your body. Yo, why you, why you, why now? This why oh why oh why oh why why oh yo body okay, um. So that is your what's your three sixty five? Is just really take some time to evaluate, you know, your relationship with your diet, your nutrition, and what you're consuming. I think that's something that I need to be doing over the next few days and weeks as well, because as a trainer, I spend a lot of time saying, "Oh yeah, I got a healthy diet, and I don't eat unhealthy," and it's just like, girl, you need to pull back from that because. That ain't necessarily the best thing to be saying. Um, As always, 365ers, if you have something that you want us to cover, something you want us to talk about, we got you. Just hit hit us up on Instagram at BlackHealth365. That is BlackHealth365. Slide in them DMs, and we will make sure that, you know, we have the conversations that need to be had. I'm Jackie Page. And I'm Britt Daniels. Remember, 365ers, you can be the only advocate of your health. Peace, namaste, and love. Black Health 365 is an Urban One and Reach Media production hosted by Jackie Page and Britt Daniels, created by Samuel Tatum and Laura Lopez, executive produced by Brittany Jackson and Kadisha Campbell, editing and production, Jahi Whitehead, sales and corporate sponsorship, Patty Johnson.